great marketing leaders need to start somewhere, and the ones that are already great can always be greater. Time to find out how to do both with an episode of CMO Convo. What if we told you there was a way to potentially double your conversion rates? Now that we've got your attention, well, we're going to talk about doubling your conversion rates, as Ihor Sokal, co-founder of the Conversion Rate Store, is here to share his top advice and hacks for conversion rate optimization. This episode is sponsored by Dream Data. Speaking of conversion rate optimization, we can all agree it's very challenging, especially when you're in B2B where buying cycles are longer and involve multiple stakeholders. You're not going to get very far in B2B by relying on tracking that was built for B2C. Enter Dream Data. By connecting all the dots on the B2B customer journey, Dream Data paints a complete picture of what is happening with your customers. You'll know when and how your visitors are converting and ultimately find what's working and what isn't and driving them down the funnel. Hi, Ehor. Welcome to the CMO Combo. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. No, thank you for joining us because the, the topic we're talking about today, conversion rate optimization, is going to be incredibly important moving forwards with the recessions that many places are moving into, the cost of living crisis, increasing that that hesitation that people have for um, for buying and purchasing. So any any weapons, well, not weapons, any tools that we can equip CMOs with, it's going to be incredibly valuable. So very much looking forward to this conversation. Before we do get into that, Ihor, maybe you could introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a bit about why this uh, this topic is so important. Sure. Um, well, my name is Ihor. I'm from Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, we have a big team uh, in our agency working in Ukraine, over 30 people agency with uh, well, quite a big one. And uh, my my story is uh, very simple. I've been doing, I'll be working in corporate business, doing communications, doing the landing pages, doing some um, marketing. And at some point I realized that I reached the, the point of growth and uh, I quit the job. So I was looking for an MBA opportunity, which I did in the end. And um, some other, I started quite a few startups. Uh, I worked in the crypto in the industry. I had uh, even corner shops, I had retail stores in, in Kiev that I opened. But but in the end, it all came down to you know, working on something highly intellectual. So I, I looked into a symbiosis of marketing and development. I started working, creating uh, landing pages. And uh, from there, it was evident that I had to evolve somehow uh, for, for most uh, clients, a landing page is a commodity. So uh, you, why buy from me? There's uh, the uh, other 300,000 uh, suppliers of this service. So I will start looking into ways of optimizing this uh, experience and to, in some setting the landing page as a, as a mean of conversion. I was trying to uh, sell the results. So I was saying that this, con- this landing page should be at this level of traffic should generate this number of conversions based on the uh, the uh, conversion rate that we uh, that we expect there to be, and as a result, this all involved in analytics, user user experience uh, research, huge research, the quantitative analysis, um, the everything else involved in analyzing user behavior to produce higher quality and higher effectiveness of the landing pages. And this is how I ended up in conversion rate optimization because the symbiosis of everything, uh, psychology, links, user research, quantitative analytics, A-B testing, uh, statistics, uh, and um, now it's, it's going well. It's doing where 
I feel that right now this is um, the intellectual challenge that I that I was waiting for. So I'm I'm in right in the right place. I feel fantastic, fantastic. So very much looking forward to digging into all those different components that that go into it in this conversation. But before we do start digging into how CMOs and how marketers can really optimize conversion rates. Let's define what we mean by conversion rate optimization. Like that, let's work. Let's get that foundation down. So, what? How are we defining the term, and how has it reached the point it's at today? Today, if you ask anyone in the field for who's there for over, say, five years, for example, everyone will be giving you very different terms. But they all, in essence, they are the same in terms of what they are communicating. So, mind you, this. Uh, very simple terms that zero is a methodology of increasing user propensity and effectiveness of exerting a specific action. It could be a sale, a, a purchase, a conversion, a sign up, a registration, whatever else it is. So our job is to identify um, the what are the motives and what are the what is the user intent, user has and providing with all the means in terms of the content, the UX, UI for, for user to convert, for user to, to exert a specific action that will want him to. to this, this includes incre increasing the motivation and reducing the, on the other side, reducing the barriers to conversion, the, the concerns, the ambiguities, the frictions, everything that, that prevents user from conversion. So we're not we're not just talking about point of sale here. It's literally everything that um, that a user could engage with on a website. It's it's pretty much everything to do with digital marketing when it comes to conversion rate optimization. Well, everything that's to do to do while users on site. Mm -hmm. um, you see, when when I started the business, we were talking about changing the position or call to action, uh, the name of of a button, changing the position of various elements. Uh, making the header or the the menu yellow or green or, br uh, or gray, so very basic things, and um, it is um, it is a myth that uh, that these things work. Of course, they do. They may have some effect of visibility of elements, and maybe even some cases even uh, use a propensity to engage with the element, but. It, the more sophisticated you get there, the more chances you get to get user attention and to um, motivate user to progress down the conversion flow. So um, it's not about right now, it's not uh, about the position or the color or this uh, small change in messaging. It's about big things. It's about things like what we call a dedicated conversion flow. I can tell you more about this, but basically what this means is that breaking down user um, user problem in into intents. Uh, for example, like an example I usually give is you can buy an apple because you're hungry, because your dentist told, told you to, because you want you're on a diet, because it's going to look great in your interior, interior of your as a design element in your kitchen and many other. So one product could be, could have very many, very, uh, many different user intents and our job is to identify user this user intent segment user by the user intent and and uh, personalize content based on that user intent as a result user will be more engaged and 
progress into the um, into the funnel and hopefully convert. This is what we call a dedicated conversion flow based on user intent. So it, it is quite a sophisticated um, uh, methodology now. It's not about changing things around or changing colors. It's about making sure that you provide seamless and the most effective user flow for users to convert based on their motivations, based on their uh, intents and motives. It's a, it's a very holistic look at the entire user journey, I suppose. I really like this, looking at the different intent, the different methodologies. I can see where the psychology fits into it quite clearly there. So when it comes to conversion rates, I'm sure lots of people can Google or Bing or ask ChatGPT these days, like what are the average conversion rates that people are looking at? Is that something that CMOs should be looking at in, in order to benchmark their own progress when it comes to conversion rates? Or is there a better way to be approaching this? I will tell you, um, we are hiring um, some, well, we tried to hire some of the top product managers in in our country, in Ukraine, and we have many different uh, products, uh, world, uh, global products in Ukraine. So we are uh, trying to make sure that our, our knowledge base, our experience and our processes are above those of the top um, top product companies in Ukraine and in Europe, not only Ukraine, because most of our market is the USA, UK, and Europe in general. Um, and when I speak to them, not only them, but when I speak to anyone in the field, and what I found extremely surprising for me is that when I tell them, ask them about the methodology of generating hypothesis for A-B testing, they say, well, we sit down with all the people involved, designers, copywriters, and then we brainstorm ideas. And uh, what do we need to test next? And I say, well, where is the data-driven component to this? Where, how do you, you know, pre-validate this? So we don't, they say, we just, we just throw everything that we can think of, create like 10, 15 hypotheses and now A-B test. And of course, nine out of 10 of them uh, fail. Um, you know that uh, a hypothesis could have very many iterations. So it, had, it could be, um, the hypothesis could have uh, one interpretation in terms of design, in terms of copywriting, in terms of the user experience and user interface. So, and uh, we can, from one hypothesis, we can make five or seven different alternative variations. But what we are seeing is that Generally, the A-B test win rate is around 10, 12, well, up to 15% in, in big product companies, uh, which is surprising for us because um, it is a lot of investment to do one A-B test, uh, significant A-B test is a lot of in dev investment, a lot of QA investment, design, copywriting, uh, management investment. But then you, if you fail nine of 10 ex experiments, this is the... Um, uh, not an optimal level of return on investment. But when I look at their methodologies, it becomes clear to me that they're just under-investing in the, in the hypothesis. If they would be investing in hypothesis, if their uh, hypothesis would be more data-driven and uh, they would encompass the a more sophisticated methodology of user experience research, quantitative analytics, UX prototyping, UI design, uh, copywriting, 
they will be winning a lot more. So we we, we are an, in our our benchmark is thirty percent ABTS win rate, and this is what we're aiming for. Uh, for example, uh, about two weeks ago, we were summing up the results for the first three months of our um, of our new well, one of our new uh, clients. We launched ten A/B tests. We won eight of them, and uh, of course, this is eighty percent um, success rate. And the client was incredibly happy. And for us, it's a it's an outlier, so it's a, it's a huge success. For for a client, this is like 28% uplift in total uh, site-wide revenue. From three months of work with us, he's incredibly he said this is one of the best investments he's ever made. But the reason why we did this and the reason why we should this is because we we spend most of our resources we spend on researching user problems, user frictions, concerns, ambiguities, and various stupid versions, and identifying various methodologies, how we can provide more value to user before we ask them to convert or how we uh, how we can reduce all the aspects that would um, prevent user to convert, how we would uh, introduce uh, effective user experience and uh, copywriting to encourage user to, to exert a specific action, which is a conversion. So it, it sounds to me like the current way of thinking this 10 to 15% success rate it's actually doing CMOs and marketing leaders a disservice in terms of their their standing within their organizations. Like if they're if they could e well not easily, but if they could in quite a short amount of time double their win percentage rates, that's going to increase their standing within the company. It's going to increase their ability to execute new ideas, get get more budget as well, which is very important at this time with all the recessions and cost of living crises going on. So. Yeah, it just makes a lot of sense. So why why aren't people taking this approach? Like why why are people still sticking to this tried and tested method that actually isn't working that well? The answer is very simple because it's difficult. It's uh, it took me about four years to work out a methodology. So uh, when we engage with clients at, in the initial step stage, the reason why we win most of our, uh, well, not most of our, but significant proportion of our um, engagement and uh, negotiation, while there are other suppliers of conversion rate management services, is because we we commit to a specific result. We said, I'll, I'll give you, it's very, I mean, it's some, some, uh, some clients find it very interesting to hear. I'll give you math behind this. Uh, so we know that we have about 30% A-B test win rate. Which means that on average, we need to launch about three A-B tests to have one, um, one uh, win. We also know that our A-B test win rate and average A-B test win rate is between 8 and 10%. So what we can do, for putting it all together, if we um, launch three A-B tests, we will have one A winner on average and we'll provide 8 to 10%. Meaning that I can come to a client and say, look, I will launch three A-B tests and you will have at least one winner on average. Okay, the more we do, the more we get. But what I'm, what I'm saying is I'm able to take commitment to give a client 10% uplift in a space of, say, three months. Well, a minimum of 10%. We're saying this is a minimum. And of course, in some cases, we do 20, 30%. But I can mathematically prove that I can do a 10% uh, 
uplift for a client in a space of say three months. First month we do research, we do uh, yeah. uh, research questions, data tracking, analytics, hypothesis, and then two months we do A-B testing, two, three, four A-B tests as many as we can. And by the end of three months or four months, we say minimum 10%. So um, the reason why we uh, we have this is because we have very strong methodology. We know what we're doing very well. And we know that if we follow this methodology, we will end up with three, uh, one win out of three A-B tests and about 10% uplift from this A-B test. Now, the reason why everyone, not everyone else is doing it is because it's different. Is because you have to you have to know how to do this. Uh, you have to know how to formulate the research questions that would uh, enable you. So basically, you're asking yourself, "What do I need to know in order to um, create a hypothesis?" So you say, first, I need to know what is the performance of the funnel. Second, I need to know why um, uh, the underperforming stages of my funnel. Why are they underperforming? What is the reason? Third, I need to know what are the, uh, say for example, what are the search queries? So how do users find us? What search they use it organically or PPC and how they find us? So because this will tell us what is their user intent, what were they typing in the keyboard. Fourth, for example, you can say what is a uh, product discovery flow on the site? Do they go through search, in uh, site search? Do they go through the mega menu the, and, or the listings? And all of this allows us to identify what do we need to know. This, then it's data tracking, then it's analytics, which is a huge topic because we do like a multitude of different methodologies for quantitative analytics and UX research, quantitative analytics. That is a creation of hypothesis. That is design, user experience, user interface, and then it's copywriting, and then it's A-B testing. And you have to be pro in every single one of these stages because if you do everything great up to the point, say for example, of copywriting or or design or A-B testing, everything will collapse there. So it's difficult. You have to invest. I've invested uh, half a decade of my life in researching this and studying this. And um, I mean, we I've wrote like, I don't know, maybe three or four different methodologies, big, but huge, um, um, like, I don't know, yeah, they're not, I cannot, call them essays because they're, they're like an um, academic piece of work. <laughs> I explain what, what uh, how do you I, how do you identify information that you need to, be, to know? Well, how do you uh, ask questions to analytics? What kind of data tracking is required? And so on and so on. So it is a difficult thing. You have to invest. If you invest, uh, you will you will never see result tomorrow. You will see result in a few years, but... Uh, you will gradually will start seeing that your NBTS win rate is going to start to increase. And maybe two, three years down the line, you will see the 20, 25%, maybe 30%. But if you keep on doing this, growing your team expertise and the processes and documenting all those processes so the new person will come, will open up and say, oh God, you have so much stuff already written down. I'll, I'll need about two weeks to go through this. And by the time, by then I'll be ready to start working. So we, the people that we hire, we give them two to three weeks of onboarding for them to look around and just to, to uh, onboard, to study how we do it. We don't get people on the projects right away. So I, I, um, I personally um, educate and or, uh, mentor and coach 
people, uh, the project managers and conversion and uh, CRO managers and growth managers, and, and they they already then they coach the people uh, that their team. But it's a lot of coaching, a lot of work. It's it's not easy. It's a it's a big piece of work. But if you do it right and if you commit to it, you will be there. Oh, about that. Um, so it sounds like it it reaches across all parts of a market. Well, not just the marketing department, across the entire business in terms of how to take this approach. It sounds like you have it very baked into your culture, of course, um, in the company, because it is the, the conversion rate store. So of course, this approach would be baked in there. Is that something that's possible in every organization to take this kind of approach there? Like, is it is it possible to have the sort of data-driven CRO culture in any kind of organization? Or is it specific to certain types, do you think? Well, uh, you, you know that um, business can grow up to the level that up to the level where business can profitably acquire traffic and acquire not not even traffic acquire the acquisition conduct acquisitions if uh, at some point the we know that the traffic is uh, at at the acceptable rate is finite so a lot of business are reaching this and then they're trying to diversify they're trying to find other markets other uh, avatars, profile, user profiles, and then target them. And a lot of them are effective. We see clients, one of our clients in Australia is going, I don't know, maybe four times over a year because they, they were trying, were finding new groups and then onboarding that segment of users with the ads, PPC, and it worked really, really well for them. But uh, you have to start reducing your acquisition cost. You can reduce it by targeting, by by your PPC um, campaigns setup, or you can go to your website and make sure the conversion rate is up. The higher your conversion rate and other key metrics, the lower your uh, acquisition cost. Because of course, uh, you you know, if, if Google will send 100 users to your site and one of them will convert, well, um, Google will know that your site is not very effective. If they will see, uh, and out of those 195 bounced without any interaction, the Google tracks that. He will definitely so the, the the cost per click would, or cost per acquisition would go up. If um, user, if 100 users out of 100 users, you have five conversions out of the 40 bounce out of those. Uh, who didn't bounce, say, 55 actively engaged so they exerted the behavioral metrics that Google liked, your, your cost per click or cost per, um, per acquisition will start to decline. And therefore, this is what you need to do. You have Your site has to be highly involving and, and engaging. Your commercial flow has to be seamless so user easily can identify the products of the, the product discovery stage is um, uh, is very effective because basically a user would come and he will if easily see the category that he needs to go to find a product that he needs. Or if user, if this is a PPC, you will directly send a user to, to a limited number of products that would correspond to user intent that exerted in a search query or keyword that they, they uh, used. And as a result, your acquisition cost will decline. So I believe this is, before I had to explain that when I was, uh, I started this business on my own. So I was, uh, I was a freelancer and I was going around uh, to big 
e-commerce in Kiev, Kiev. And I was um, telling the conversion rate optimization like I've been doing this all my life because this is, I'm a salesperson in uh, in essence. Um, but um, for, for what surprised me was that there are companies who had millions, I mean, tens of millions of traffic. We, I mean, Ukraine is a, um, before the war, it was uh, 40, I think 45 million, 46 million people. This is a big country with a lot of uh, traffic, with a lot of um, uh, sales potential. And I was so surprised to see that some of the top companies, uh, e-commerce or marketplaces, they had difficult understanding what zero was. Uh, that was about eight, seven, eight years ago. So, but still, uh, and I had to, I had to explain this. But now, of course, now it's a very different story. Um, the my belief is that everyone has to invest in commercial rate optimization if you want to make money, because uh, we pretty much know everyone who's doing business pretty much knows quite well how to drive traffic. If the business is successful, of course. Uh, if it's not a, a, a three-day startup, uh, it, but how to optimize for effective user experience to uh, increase user propensity to convert or to exert a specific behavior? This is a big black box for many, and that's that's the reason why they are not investing because they don't know. Uh, if you look around, there are not so many uh, conversion rate optimization textual pros in the world, so. I'm saying that uh, there are, say, 50 people who are going from company to company and they basically make, um, change the same companies because those companies can invest and they, they feel that this, these guys are of uh, very high um, proficiency in uh, CRO, so they, they hire them. And um, in my view, you have, to be, you have to be on top of CRO as soon as possible if you want to be competitive. Okay, awesome, awesome. So when it comes to creating this culture of CRO, creating this culture of taking a data-driven approach to it, it's not just contained within the marketing department, right? What are the other departments need to be involved in this process? Who are the other key stakeholders that CMOs need to be working with for this kind of project? Well, you see, uh, let me just break down what, C uh, what conversion rate optimization involves. Um, first of all, is it's... Um, design level thinking based on evidential decision-making. So it has to be data-driven. What do you have to ask yourself? You have to ask yourself a question. If you do, if you hear any premise, any conclusion, any assertion, you have to ask yourself a question. What is it based on? Is it based on your feeling, on your, you know, on what your, friends or mother told you last night, or is it based on some data that you collected? Is it based on the top manager's uh, enlightenment during lunchtime, which has nothing to do with the uh, data-driven approach, or is it based on the evidence you collected through AP tests you conducted? So uh, when we, when someone comes to me with a hypothesis or a search, or how about we do this for a client? Say, why do you think we have to do this? What makes you think you have, we have to do this? And uh, I always ask for evidence. In some cases, people tell me that I believe this is the right way. My experience and my feeling tells me this is the right way. And I know this, this people are, or this, this specific person is experienced. You wouldn't be telling things 
just out of nothing. There is some evidence, but he cannot or she cannot put it together into right collection of words. So okay, let's try it. Let's see how it how it goes. So um he has to be um, a data-driven approach for this to decision making across all companies. So um, ideas, even if they're ungrounded, they had to be pre-validated. Not necessarily validated through images, but pre-validated. But by pre-validation, I mean conducting a, a focus group or a user test and say, look, this is what I need you to do. This is my, this is the scenario, do it. And if you see that what you are proposing is working, user is using this, say for example, a product discovery flow or a payment method that you want to introduce, then you pre-validate the hypothesis, then, then it can go into the next stage of creating, um, being created as a full-blown, full-fledged uh, hypothesis for, for A-B testing, for validation. So top management must be on board for sure. Um, uh, conversion rate optimization is, is involves creating questions that you need to answer in order to make hypothesis. Involves data tracking, which is another department. Create, uh, involves user experience research, identifying user perceptions, um, blocks, barriers, um, concerns and bigotries involves uh, quantitative analytics to identify user behavioral patterns. Um, dev team, because they will be during the um, the development of the hypothesis. Uh, design team for UX, UIDX, copywriting team for copyright and QA. So it's a pretty much the whole the whole product uh, company will be involved in this. Um, therefore. Zero is is a is a driving function in in the company. Of course, there's there's traffic acquisition and many others, but if you want to be competitive, your conversion optimization methodology must be ingrained in in the whole company. And remember that conversion rate optimization is to do with conversion, which is sale, which is the the action. If we're talking continuous action, this is this is another evolution of conversion optimization, which which calls a UXO, a user experience optimization, whereby we're interested not in the first conversion metrics like conversion rate, average order value, average revenue per user. The UXO is more focused on continuous uh, retention, reducing churn rate increasing lifetime value and increasing weekly purchase. So this is another step of, and another step of evolution of commercial rate optimization. Many of our clients come to us and say, look, things look good in terms of the first engagement, but we have churn, we have churn, say 30%, do something about it. Say, okay, we'll, we'll find the reasons why people churn and we'll give you a solution. And I mean, this is, this is something that we, we're gradually transitioning from just zero into conversion rate optimization and optimizing user experience after the first engagement, after the first um, uh, conversion into continuous relationship. Uh, I feel like we could have an entire separate conversation 
about UXO because it does sound absolutely fascinating, um, particularly in terms of like customer retention, which is going to be incredibly important for CMOs and companies right now. But let's let's stick to CRO for now. Um, you've absolutely sold me on why it's important. I'm sure that most of our audience is convinced by now. Let's talk about some practical steps that CMOs can be taking right now to try and in, uh, optimize their conversion rates. Um, I know, obviously, it's going to be quite different for different industries. Like, you're not going to be able to list out all the different user intents for every single industry and every single person in the world right now. Um, but let's maybe if you've got any interesting use cases or case studies that you could call on that could be sort of an example of what can be achieved through this these steps that we're going to go through. Sure. I'll give you uh, two examples on the conversion form. So let me give you a little bit of uh, background. If you ask, or perhaps if you asked three, five years ago, any conversion rate uh, specialist in the field, uh, how to optimize the form, you said minimize the number of uh, steps, minimize the number of fields, which is logically correct, which is absolutely correct. But what we've found and I mean, I'm not going to say we, uh, we invented this, but what we developed there, we developed it internally, the, the concept, what we call um, educate and provide value before conversion. So we, we, what we did is before you ask anyone to do something, make sure that you've done something for them. So value. I'll give you a very simple example. We have a, com um, a, a client from US uh, who are a, a SEO-based company. So they generate traffic. They this is a affiliate model. So they generate traffic, and then they uh, the, the the traffic. Sorry, the the, the website is based on uh, car insurances. So uh, basically, it's thousands, tens of hundreds of thousands of different. Um, not maybe not hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of different pages related to everything that you can think about about car insurance. So if you type anything there, you'll uh, about car insurance, you're likely to have their website on the first page. And um, there was one page that was generating or a collection of pages that was generating a significant portion of traffic, but they were not converting. They they produced very little conversion. So, and they were related specifically to. Um, to how much car insurance a user needs. So there was a lot of content about car insurance and a user would come, read and leave. What we did is we created a, a quiz funnel flow whereby we ask questions and say, basically it sounds like this, uh, determine how much car insurance do you need? You answer, you ask, um, uh, we ask questions, the user answers questions. By the time he reaches the end, we give him the recommendation. So if for you, we recommend this type of uh, crunchers. This is the level of coverage and, um, and the call to action. Do you want, I think, let me remember, uh, compare quotes. Let's make it simple. So user would come, not just consume the content user, user would be able to determine exactly the level of coverage and the type of insurance he needs. What we saw that the conversion rate of this page increased by 100, 150%, I think it's about wow. wow. Because users were clicking on this element uh, because this is exactly what they came for there. We can look at the user, I'm uh, sorry, the search queries at the keywords the users were using 
and uh, no, no keywords, this um, is the uh, organic traffic, so it's search queries. And what we saw that they'd, they'd be asking how much car insurance did, how do I, uh, how do I know, or how do I determine what level of coverage do I need? And this is exactly what we gave them. We gave them a flow to identify how much car insurance they, they needed. Um, so what we're saying is that increase user uh, engagement and provide value before asking to convert. We, we've seen uh, the conversion of these pages skyrocketed after that. That's one example. The other example, what I started to talk about, is about conversion form. So, um, you know that you have, if you have 15 fields, people will leave without even try attempting to, to put this down. So one of the conventional things is break it down into a number of uh, digestible steps, which is which also works. Uh, we tried it many times, and it does work in most cases. However, uh, what we found is with difficult products like B two B, B two B SaaS, like for example, we have one client uh, who uh, provides. Uh, I mean, remember, it's a it's a it's a payroll automation solution software, so it's it's a difficult one. So you have to be, and the clients are. Or the people who make decisions are CM, no, CMOs, CFOs, uh, controllers. So they, they, there's other people in um, on this corporate side who who have to be convinced before they move forward with with the, with a demo or anything. So um, instead of now client the the payment automation uh, software provider had a big big form. So we said first let's break it down. We broke it down, nothing happened. Say, let's explain which what each field is and why do we need to uh, do it. We we did this, nothing happened. How, let's uh, We said, how about this? We did a, a very deep and very uh, comprehensive research to identify why the people initially started to look for payroll automation. So payroll automation is a solution um, that is there to address a specific problem. Say, what is that problem? And we identify that it takes too long to to if you have five hundred people in your or um, in your company. Not to say if you have five thousand people in your company, um, it's going to take just way too long to to process all the payments. Um, there are errors. There is too costly, and many many other things. So what we did, we took this. Um, uh, conversion, which is, by the way, was called uh, schedule a demo or book a demo. When user clicked it, we, instead of giving them the form, we asked him a question. What goals are you trying to achieve with payroll automation? And, so, and then we list all the goals. So user would read through and say, oh, I can do this. I can reduce the number of errors. Oh, I can reduce the cost by 75%. And this and this, oh, this, everything is really, really relevant to me. Let's continue. Then we'll ask what benefits and what features are most important to you. And we'll list all the features. So the user would read through all of them. So, wow, they have this feature, they have this, they can compile the payroll together. They can, they are, they work in Indonesia. Great because not many, well, yeah, there are some countries that not, not many payroll uh, automation solutions work. So, and by the time user reaches the form, he already be, he's been educated. What problems we can solve? What features we have? What benefits will we even have a price point selection? So user would be able to say, um, identify uh, him or herself in a specific 
price points, I I'm willing to say be in that segment of price because the the solution is adjustable. And by the time he reached the forum, he's read so much content that he is highly motivated. And our client told me, "Are you a crazy? You're gonna you instead of breaking down the form, you're gonna make it five times longer." I said yes, let's try it. We and we did seventy percent uplift in uh, conversion rate. And now, this is a, a big, big grind with uh, big, uh, well, big traffic, sufficient uh, traffic volume to to generate millions of dollars just from just from this one change. So this is this is a. Uh, a good example where it was a gamble, but it worked. Yeah, and, and I really like those two approaches as well, because not only are you getting the the audience, getting the um, the lead engaged, you, you're doing research on these potential customers as well at the same time. Like you're getting lots of valuable data from these people, both in terms of macro data, looking at audience behavior, also individuals, but like that kind of information for the um, before booking a demo. That is absolute gold for a sales team. So I really like this approach. It's very, very elegant, like very, very smart. So that's just two minor, well, it's not minor things you can do, but two steps that you can take to really optimize conversion rates. It, it, it sounds like it's a big lengthy process. So I'm not going to ask you to go through every single step now, but let's see if we can tie things together. Like, do you maybe have some like golden rules about how marketing departments, how CMOs should be thinking about conversion rate optimization, just like kind of tie everything together that we've discussed today. Um, let me think about this. So uh, the number one thing I would say is that don't do anything unless you have evidence that this may work. Don't waste time because you can be successful one out of 10 times, but the t amount of time, the, the lost opportunity uh, that you you would, you would lose as a result of going for um, opportunities that are unfounded. They have not, no data behind them or no evidence that they will work. So um, I would say always ask, what is it based on? If you don't see the data, don't do it. Unless unless there's someone who passionately believes that it's going to work. But always pre-validate your ideas. Don't go into full-fledged A-B tests worth, uh, you know, um, uh, two, three weeks of work of uh, two developers, a QA, a designer, a copywriter, and a manager, and a reuse researcher, and a quant analyst engineer, uh, just because you felt this is the right thing to do. You have to be passionate about this. If so, yes, of course, go ahead. But if you're not, collect data. It is always uh, easier to make decisions when you have data. And uh, not only that, when I started to work in the business, um, we were convincing the clients and we were, you know, in some cases even arguing with clients that this is the right way to do, to go as kind no, I don't believe that. But after we gained some experience, now it is very difficult to argue with us because we have everything, we have data to prove everything we say. So every single assertion is back with data. So the client is always there saying, wow, very good. Oh, you even have this. Oh, you've collected this much data. So. We know what uh, what to ask, and we know how to determine that. And we will never put forward an idea or hypothesis if we don't have uh, solid evidence that this is likely to work. So not only that there is some insight, there is strong evidence that this is this is the way forward. So number one, 
don't do anything unless you are able to collect data and pre-validate this idea. Number two is make sure that you don't implement anything without testing it. Because we've, we were so surprised and outblown by some of our clients who are huge, but we, they just, they just release updates without testing and say, how do you know if this is, if this can drop your conversion by 15%, it's a big change. So, well, we'll just see and see if the, the metrics change. Say, well, there's seasonality in place. This is November. So. Anything can happen. You, you can see a huge uplift because people are just rushing to buy. Wow, it's going to be okay. It's a, it's a funny story, but uh, don't do anything without testing. I mean, I, I, I have a client who who make millions of dollars and they just released a redesign without testing it. And the conversion rate declined by 70%. And it spent six months designing and working on this six months of investment. So they had to roll back, uh, back everything, fired everyone, all of the product team, everyone involved in this. And, um, you know, this, uh, um, you know how people sometimes say, I, I-, I told you, <laughs> don't tell me, I didn't tell you. Uh, and they said, we were telling, don't, don't launch it. It's going to be, it's a big, big risk. So. Two things, data-driven decisions and uh, validations through experimentation. Two excellent pieces of advice there, Ihor. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today. Um, really, really fascinating look at many different aspects of conversion rate optimization. I, I'm really, really enthused about this now. I'm sure a lot of our audience is as well. So thank you very much, Ihor, for your time. Thank you, Will. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Take care. Yeah. And thank you very much to our audience as well. We'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. Get Dream Data for free today by visiting dreamdata.io and start optimizing your conversion rates towards what matters most, revenue. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.